House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren. And on the other side of the country, we've got Mr. Michael Holly. Hello, Al. Yeah, we're back. We're back <laughs> after right. the long break. Yes. Wow. First show, and you're sitting on the first show. I'm surprised you. Uh, you oh, you... I, I tried to work it. You betcha. But uh, that's right. <laughs> I'll be flying your. I'll be flying your way out west uh, for uh, filming. So that'll be fun. Yeah, you're going to be in that new. Uh, what's that? Uh, History's so- greatest mysteries. Uh, let's say Lawrence Fishburne. He's the one that narrates it. So they wanted to talk Jack the Ripper. So I said, okay. I will talk Jack the Ripper. <laughs> well, yeah, you're the man to do it, especially with all the others they have listed on there. You know, anyway. But uh, but we're, it's not about us today. Today we are back, and it's about um, the writers we bring on, and we're starting out with a bang this year. So talk about for Toronto, we've got uh, a writer from back east in Canada, eh? And so <laughs> we've got Miss Judy Penn-Shellick. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, Judy, um, where did it all start for you? (laughs) (laughs) Where did it all start for you? Yeah. Journalist, a magazine editor, you've got some best-selling books out, you've got a couple of crime series, you've got all of this, um, you know, life in in writing. Um, Was that something you brought with you right from being a child? Were you that way in school and you just carried it on, or is this something that came along later? Yeah, so I, I mean, I've always been an avid reader. I mean, my mom read to me when I was, you know, like for, forever. And so um, I always loved to read, and I always used to make up stories in my head, you know. So I had a bit of a walk to school, um, and, uh, you know, with no shoes in the snow. No. But I would, um, you know, make up sort of a story in my head, and then if it wasn't finished by the time I got to school, then I would just pick it up on the way home, you know, the same story. Sometimes it'd take me a day or have it in my head, and sometimes take a couple of days or whatever. So I just thought everyone did that, right? I didn't think that was anything strange. And uh, so, and then I wanted to go to actually Ryerson for journalism, but my mother just didn't think that journalism was a proper um, job for a, a woman. And so I took business instead and went into the corporate world and um, became a credit manager on and on. And then I, I guess I was in my mid-30s. I was commuting to Toronto from Holland Land, Landing, which is a small town. And, uh, you know, the drive the drives were long, and I, I'd be making up these stories in my head to kind of keep me, you know, sane. And so one day I came home and I said to my husband, who was an engineer, you know what, I, I think I might start writing down these stories in my head. And, you know, he's like, you write stories in your head. I go, yeah, I don't even just <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm an engineer, are you crazy? <laughs> and so um, anyway, I didn't really do anything with it. And then I guess um, oh, probably about five years later, my husband, for my birthday, bought me this creative writing workshop uh, taught by Barry Dempster, who's a... I think he's been up for the GG a couple times for poetry and that sort of thing. And um, anyway, I started writing my stories down and got a couple published in like literary magazines. And then 
um, took some courses and uh, started writing for magazines, and the magazines then hired me as their editor, and it just kind of spun off, right? And just kind of, so I gave up that whole corporate credit manager thing, which I hated, uh, in 2003. Yeah, so 2003, I haven't actually had a real job since 2003. <laughs> <laughs> but you have your passion now. I do, I do. I mean, and, and it, honestly, when I when I broke into print uh, into media in 2003, print was still really vibrant, you know. So it was it was really easy to get into different magazines, and I have quite a knowledge of antiques, and so antiques were still quite popular at that time, and so it was easy to break in. Today it would not be because there's just so many. Um, there's hardly any print media left, you know. So. No, it would it would be a very different story to try to do it today. But I was lucky and uh, broke in. And I guess it was around 2012. I went to a conference in Toronto called Bloody Words, and I went as a fan. You know, I, I'm a huge fan of, of crime fiction and nonfiction, and I was really excited to meet you know Howard Schreier and Giles Blunt and Linwood Barclays people. So, uh, anyways, I went there, and uh, I when I was I was going to the panels, I thought you know. I could do this. I mean, how hard could it be? <laughs> so uh, anyway, I came home and I, I'm very, very inspired and started, um, you know, writing and uh, started writing my first book. And yeah, 24. I guess it took me a couple of years to write that first one. Um, lots of false starts. Didn't really have a clue what I was doing. And uh, yeah, but eventually um, finished it and got it. A, a published small press publisher in the United States uh, picked it up and. Yeah, so that's kind of sort of went from there, yeah. Yeah, I, I find that interesting um, because when you're in a career in in the real world, as they say, and doing a job like that, like you were doing, um, to give that up and to actually try and publish something you've written, that takes a lot of courage, I would think. Don't you think? Well, I mean, I should add to the story that, um, the company that I was working for at the time, um, they were doing a huge sort of reorg, right? Mm -hmm. And so my boss had sort of said, you know, we could do this with you or that with you. And, and I was just I, I'm sort of done. Like, you, there's nothing really more depressing than collecting money, for life, uh -huh. quite frankly. So I said, you know, don't do that. I will be happy to train, you know, all these different people on my job. Just, you know, give me a decent severance package and let me right off to the sunset and and they did that um they were great so that severance package combined with um some unemployment insurance um really kind of funded my first year and a half i guess of of um, freelance journalism but i i i was quickly earning close to what i made in in the corporate world because i you know i was writing for like seven different magazines at a time it was crazy um but yeah i, I mean i think I was I, something I really wanted to do and something I really love, and uh, I developed a really good reputation pretty quickly. So I think that has all made a difference. Ironically, I thought you know having all this journalistic background, uh, being the editor of um, you know New, New England Antiques Journal, all this stuff, that my protagonist in my first book is an antique shop owner, and I thought, oh well. You know, I'm going to get all these offers, and it's going, all this is going to matter, but it doesn't. It, it doesn't matter. I got like a million rejections <laughs> before I got an acceptance. Of course, I started, you know, really high with like the best, the top New York agent or whatever, yeah, right? Of course, of <laughs> course. <laughs> Which, you know, they, they didn't return my call. I don't understand. <laughs> anyway. That was rude. Who was it? I'll call them right now. 
I'm going to call them live. Yeah, well, you're mine. I know, I know. It's like when, when, when Skeletons in the Attic, that's my best-selling book. So that came out in 2016, and it reached number one on Amazon. It was very exciting. And, and like, Michael Connolly was number two. That's when my husband, I think, finally realized, oh, maybe maybe there's something to this author thing. You know? <laughs> that's right. Um, but, you know, Michael never called. He never, I, I don't get that. Like, well, what's up with that? You, you know? want a cell <laughs> number? I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm a big fan. I've read everything, you know. I'm a huge fan of his. So. I've heard that. Just like Stephen King, I've heard he's all right. But <laughs> yeah, Stephen, he's a good buddy of mine. Yeah, <laughs> not. <laughs> just have Judy, we're too, we're too much of a, a yeah. nonfiction, true crime stuff. So that there's so much to that. <laughs> there is. Yeah. I'm actually fascinated by the whole true crime thing. I mean, I I I I love research. I mean, that comes from a journalistic background, like research is really, I, I enjoy doing it. I actually can spend, you know, the better part of the day researching, you know, what the moon phase was on a certain day or whatever. And, you know. So what you're trying to say is my my next book is actually Jack the Ripper in Canada because the guy Tumblety was actually, he lived in Toronto and he had like 3,000 acres in Guelph. So really? you're trying to tell me that you're going to help me research this? <laughs> I love this. Thank you, Judy. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I've often thought, you know, I, I mean, I'd love to know, you know, how you stumble upon that sort of thing. You know, like, I mean, I, it was, that to me is fascinating, right? I, I, I'd love to do the research on something like that. I, I don't even know where I'd start. And I'll know, start with newspaper, newspapers.com. But, yeah. that, but hap what happens is you go, you have to know what you're targeting, and then what, yeah. and then know the time frame, and then uh, so then it kind of just builds. And then, then you the coolest thing is discovery. You know, it's something that you know that nobody else knows about, and then you just keep on going. Yeah. So, but uh, Toronto is just a wealth of information on this guy, so it's really cool. Yeah. And you're right. There. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. It's no, great. it's great. I know. I mean, I, I think it's. I think the whole because I do. Um, in the, in my Marketville series, I um, like I have the two series. The Glass Dolphin is very cozy, the antique shop owner, it's sort of like you know murder she wrote kind of vibe. But the um, the Marketville series are they're what I call cold case cozies, right? And uh, so the, say the last book, A Fool's Journey, it's a, about a young man that goes missing like twenty years before, and now the family still hasn't heard from him. So my protagonist gets in the act and starts digging around, right? Um, but that case was based on the case of a, a, a young man that I read about in my local paper that had been missing for 20 years. And oh, I, okay, right. I found, you know, I found missingadults.ca and I, um, because the, his photograph was credited to missingadults.ca. So I went there and then I went onto that website and then I found his little blurb and some age progressed photos and that sort of thing. And then I contacted the founder, Lisa Dion, and said, you know, what can you tell me? I, I don't, you know, I don't want to use this guy specifically, but I want to sort of build a story around it. Um, and so she was terrific because she really, you know, I didn't want to. The last thing I wanted to do was write a fictional story, and then kind of people that have actually been in that situation that that didn't feel real to them, if you know what I mean. Like that seemed important to me. Okay. Um, Lisa, she actually becomes Lucy Danilock in the book. Um, she helped me a lot. And I did fictionalize um, the character quite a lot, which is a good thing because, and here's almost a creepy thing, it, and I won't give you the guy's name because it's, you know, sort of a secret, but 
the the book was released in on August twenty first, twenty nineteen, and uh, on that day, the young man that I based the story on returned home. Oh wow! Mm. Yeah, creepy. Eh? Yeah. You finally you yeah. let him out of the basement. That's what happened. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's it just it just seems so bizarre to me. I I don't know. You know, yeah. I I don't know what happened to him because Louisa phoned me and she said, "You're never going to believe it." The family called and said, take the listing down, he's home. But we don't know where he was. We know nothing, right? So I'm very glad that I fictionalized a lot of it because, you know, mm. if I didn't, and then it was, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, so, it's tough. I do love research, yeah. And that's one of the, you know, that, that is, it goes to show that one little article in the paper and how it sort of led me through this whole process of digging and uh researching and I, I enjoy doing it a lot yeah yeah well it's it's amazing you know in when you're doing true crime there's so much when you're going through the papers every single uh day through the paper and every th single page because especially uh, if you're looking at the 20s or 30s or something right a long time ago they the way they wrote articles was so much different um but it's so interesting but that's that's great because if if you didn't do research i think a crime fiction or historical fiction book would be less, right? Because it, it, it oh, doesn't yeah. read through then, right? I check every fact. Um, you know, I, I had a, a little, um, my, in my cozy series, uh, A Hole in One, there's a murder on a golf course. And uh, and so anyway, the, the guy that gets sort of arrested is um, an antiques, the, the, the ex-husband of the antique shop protagonist and so I you know I, I called the the I, I thought he needs to have like an antique gun I think you know because he's antique so but I don't know anything about guns so then I called um, the York Region Police Department and spoke to uh, Constable Pattenden who does their media and sort of asked him you know what are the rules about antique guns and what kind of what do they have to do and, and he was helpful but then he also said you know con contact this uh Sean, I can't remember his last name, but Sean at oldguns.ca. So I contacted Sean, and Sean was like, he needs this type of revolver because that would have been something that RCMP would have used in such and such a year and blah, blah, blah. And it, it, like, perfect. So it was perfect. Now, the thing is, all that, like talking to Andy Patton, talking to Sean at oldguns.ca, doing the research on the gun and all of that, it maybe boiled down to one paragraph in the book, you know, at the end of the day. <laughs> it wasn't a big part of it. But if I had gotten that detail wrong, somebody, you can guarantee somebody out there knows about antique guns that would have said, you know what, she just doesn't know what she's talking about. And yeah. then the whole book would be read yeah. for them, right? Well, yeah, so, yeah. Well, and it ruins it for me, actually, in a sense. Uh, more in um, series I see on streaming TV like Prime or, or Netflix when I see some sort of, show that it, it's dated and uh, supposed to be happening in the 30s or wherever and they're speaking like it's 2010 yeah you yeah know, right, right. I, it just throws me i kind of go oh that's stupid that's stupid and i get so focused on what they're doing that way i lose interest in the story so i think it's important it is and you know it's funny you say that because um i was talking to uh, or i saw a webinar with Ilona Wishaw, who's a bc author and she talked about this thing called NGRAMS, N-G-A-R-A-M-S, which I'd never heard of. But what it is, is it's a search engine, and you, you put in something like, can't get my head around it, for instance, as an example of a saying that people say today all the time, right? 
And it'll tell you when that saying became popular. So that's really helpful if you're writing, you know, trying to capture dialogue from like the 50s or the 60s or something. Right. Nobody said can't get your head around it then. So you're absolutely right. If, if I was to read a book set in the 60s and I read that, I'd think, that doesn't seem right to me. Like, nobody said that then. So, um, anyway, so this engrams, it's quite wonderful. You should check it out. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's I, I think... It, I, and it's free. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating. But it's so important um, to make the story real. Um, and that, that brings me to your character. So this, this might... You might think that this is a weird question, but I, I've talked to so many fiction writers... And they give me different answers for this, so I think it's an important question. Where do your characters come from, and what do you think of your characters? I, and I mean this in a sense of uh, some writers will say, well, they're like my children, they're like my family and stuff. How is it for you? Well, they're definitely not my kids or my family, and they, but they do live in my head, and sometimes quite annoyingly. Um, but, yeah, so my, my, my favorite like in the Glass Dolphin series, I have Arabella Carpenter, who's the antique shop owner around, you know, 40, likes cookies, um, and, uh, and feisty, um, has an on-again, off-again, on-again relationship with her ex-husband, Levon Larroquette, who is, in my head, looks like Chris Christopherson did in A Star is Born. That is a much better make, by the way, than the most recent Star Wars yeah. which is not that good. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's another, that's another, nothing against Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, who I think are great, but it's just not as yeah. good movie, yeah. in my opinion. But anyway, uh, so that's what he looks like. So it's quite fun writing about him, because, you know, Chris was quite attractive in his time. Um, and still is, I'm sure. Anyway, so that's them. And then uh, Emily Garland is a, um, a journalist and a runner. And I, of course, was a journalist, and I have run marathons. Um, and she's 35, and I used to be. So, you know, <laughs> it's all good there, right? Um, so they're kind of like um, fun characters, you know, that I just, um, like, I was named after Judy Garland, so Garland for Emily Garland. Emily, my favorite book growing up was Emily Climbs by Ellen Montgomery, a story about a young woman who wants to be a journalist when she grows up. And so, you know, probably the inspiration for me wanting to do that as well. So, you know, those are characters I like. Um, Arabella, I really like. I like her so much that I actually have her um, as a minor character in the Marketville series. I always find a, you know, some antique that, that um, Calamity has to... Um, contact her about, right? So, um, yeah, so Marketville, I have Calamity Barnstable, also known as Callie, and uh, and I, I just, I love her. I mean, she's just, um, I think in a lot of ways, she's me, um, but younger. <laughs> but she's definitely got, uh, you know, like she's been dumped on Valentine's Day when she was expecting an engagement ring, that kind of thing. All these things have happened to me at some point, right? So <laughs> I just pulled the brain it, you know, and I figure, you know, maybe, you know, that the guy that dumped me, it was actually high school that I got dumped and it was a, you know, a promise ring I was expecting, but I just amped the story up a little bit. Um, but I, I just think, you know, we're, you know, I hope that guy sees me and says, oh, I, you know, I, I should have stayed instead of, you know, Betty Ann. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do, you, do, you, do you take that person to um, use that character, that person that did something bad to you and, Absolutely. and hurt them? There's, yeah. no, there's no better way of getting even there with somebody than <laughs> writing, them, writing them into a story. And actually, I did write a short story 
Uh, it's called Live Free or Die. Um, and it uh, takes place of a young 23-year-old girl in Toronto that um, ends up having a relationship with her um, boss, who's 10 years her senior. And uh, let's just say that 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 the, that particular relationship, that, that boss that I had when I was 23, that guy still may be alive, but not in my story. <laughs> yeah, so I got even with him a whole lot of years later, right? So, um, well, yeah. Make anyway. it torturous, too, right? It has to be it's a long, drawn-out one. It's not like a quick old... There goes your true crime, Al. There goes yeah. that true crime. Yeah, no, I just... Because J.D. Horn, that's when he said that. He said that he's, he's so sensitive that when he's in a grocery store that if someone cuts him off, he'll take that person's uh, character and hurt them in one of his books. I actually have done that, not actually hurt them, but in, uh, it, again, in one of the Glass Dolphin series, I've got Emily going to, um, you know, the, the, the dollar store, and she's got a cold, and she's feeling sorry for herself, and she's got cough drops, and Kleenex and all this stuff in her hand, and she's in this big lineup, and, and this another cashier opens up and says, I can take the next person in line. And last guy in the line runs runs up and and she and Emily sort of says, Well, you're not you were the last guy, you're supposed to be waiting in line and the guy sort of, you know, gives her a hard time. And that happened to me in a dollar store and the guy was just horrible and I thought I wrote I wrote this whole scene. It's like, you know, okay, so the guy was just awful, right? He was like, you know, he slow he snitched and lose lady and I was like, oh, oh my there. I've been waiting for like ten minutes, right? So anyway, I, I was quite I ended up turning it into a scene in the book. So really everything that happens eventually eventually ends up in some sort of a chapter somewhere. Well, that's beauty <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're working it out in front of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but that's, it's funny, but it's not. It's just, since you put a lot of yourself into it, but I guess a lot of writers do, um, d does it ever worry you or does it ever make you feel a little bit uh, self-conscious to write things that are very personal to you and to let anybody in the world read them and review them? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure that... I write, like, I mean, these these little snippets of things that have happened to me, I mean, I, I, mean, I always obviously exaggerate the details, um, and so I don't really feel that people are getting to know me that well personally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I'm pretty careful on my social stuff not to include, you know, pictures of my house or anything. I'll, I'll show pictures of the water, and we have a cottage, and I show pictures of the water, but never the actual property or whatever, right? So really careful about that stuff. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've actually answered your question. No, I just I find it interesting because some people have difficulty with that. Um, when they read a review that picks out a certain detail in the story, and that detail is a re real detail to the person that wrote it. It's something very important um, to them, and they've wrote it into the story into one of the characters uh, you know, for whatever reason, and um, then all of a sudden someone criticizes that detail um, by saying it's stupid or whatever, you know, they kind of, you know, yeah. a person would never act that way, that's stupid, you know, people are, and, and then and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, but that did happen to me, you know. And it, yeah, that, well, you know what they say, I mean, you know, truth is stranger than fiction, well, certainly, right? I mean, yeah. a lot of, sometimes things that happen, you, you can't write about them because nobody would ever believe them. 
that would ever happen, right? Um, but I would say that, like, as far as reviews go, I do read. Like, I, I go on, I, re, I review books on Goodreads, I, and I read every review that people post on Goodreads, um, the good and the bad, right? And, and I, you know, because you can learn from all of them. And I, even the awful ones, um, I still appreciate that the person took the time to read my book. And if they didn't like it, okay. I mean, I, because I've read, you know, best-selling novels that I haven't particularly cared for. Um, you know, they've been critically, you know, lauded, and I've been sort of like, eh, you know. So, <laughs> so it's okay. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't take it too personally. And the, the one um, story I love to tell is, and I, he isn't, I don't think he's with us anymore because he stopped reviewing altogether. But his name was Phil. And he would only ever give me a one-star review, one star every time. You know, I don't know what all the hype was about. You know, I didn't, I didn't get this book at all, whatever, and one star. But then he, he'd buy the next book. Like, you don't like some right. books. Why are you buying them? But he did. And then I think my biggest sight was one time he gave me two and a half stars. But I was like, oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> like getting, like, ten stars from anybody else, right? Because... <laughs> Because still, really, he really, well, I always seem to disappoint him. But he kept buying my books, and I don't know why. So I miss him. He doesn't. I hunted him down and had him killed. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can only take so much negative, and I, I have to go after them, you know. But sometimes people are cruel. Like, I mean, one that really rankled was a lady that, like, it was funny because that they had two reviews. One was five-star, couldn't put the book down, loved it, loved it. And the other one was, I thought my grade five you know, kindergartner wrote this. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Come on. But anyway, you know, it's fine. You can't, you, you, you just, you, I mean, it's subjective. Reading is subjective, yeah. right? Yeah. So, except Well, that. it's really hard. It's hard because you can get one, like you said, I've had that where this man doesn't know how to, how to write. He's terrible. He's like a, he yeah. couldn't, graduate high school with this and and then the next person gives you a five star and they're saying this is amazing and you're like wow yeah. you know i just brothers i don't know i don't know it's weird so do you like to be involved with a, with a lot of your readers and stuff like that do you kind of interact a lot online or do you stay away from that well i i i'm not I mean, I have the Facebook, you know, I have, the, like, lots of friends, so to speak, which, you know, I don't even know who they are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in that way, I do, I mean, I visit book clubs. I love that. I mean, my local book clubs, I've visited some local book clubs. I've done a couple Zoom uh, book club meetings. Um, so, yeah, I, I have fun doing that. I mean, it's not always, uh, so usually it's great. I did one, I remember I did one in Tottenham, which is a small town not too far from where I live, and it was a senior's residence. So I thought, oh, that'll be nice. And so they all, you know, read read the book, I guess, whichever title they had selected. And then I went to chat with them, and, you know, they had tea and cookies, and that was all really nice. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, the one lady, the one lady, you know, she wrote stories about her cat, so she thought they were better than my book. And then another lady started talking about Frank Mahovlich. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea why, because, you know, okay, I mean, I know who he is, and he played hockey and all that, but, like, he hasn't played hockey. I, I don't even know if he's still alive. Well, probably not. not. And, and so, you know, but so it was clear that, you know, maybe they weren't all, you know, maybe they didn't really understand everything they read. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
anyway, it was still fun to have. And, and they were homemade cookies, so, you know, couldn't, it was, there was some positive there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they probably put pot in the cookies or something. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, I do like that. It, it's, it, I, I really do Oh, you like the pot? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy meeting readers. I do. I mean, I love, that's why I like going to conferences, because you could, you could meet um, other authors, certainly, which is great for um, networking and um, just feeding off getting ideas. But um, but readers, you know, it's really fun. So I miss that. That's one thing I've really missed. Would you consider yourself an extrovert then? I mean, I see here a lot of introverts that are authors, but an extrovert or? No. And I think, uh, I think what I read somewhere, somebody described it as being an extroverted introvert. So I can be an extrovert. Um. But I absolutely am happiest on my own, in my own little space. Um, so, you know, that that is, it's, it's funny, but I can't, like, so for instance, if I go to a conference, people say, oh, you could save money by staying, you know, rooming with somebody, and I, I'm like, there, nothing horrifies me more than the thought of rooming with somebody, because after I spent like, three hours being on, I just want to go into my room and, like, watch, you know, HGTV or, you know, something that, you know, the cooking network or something, and just uh, not talking to anybody, right? It's, I just want to be alone. So I, I you know, I think really um, I am happiest alone. I'm an only child. I grew up, you know, in, a, in, a, in a, an environment where my parents didn't let me, like, didn't like to have people over or anything. They were very private people. So I grew up in that way. So, yeah, and my husband is, like, the like the, uh, the most introverted introvert you're ever going to meet in your life. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, just, you sound just like Mike. <laughs> I'm from eight kids in my family, and I have six myself, two dogs, and lots of chaos. So I can, it's oh no chaos. <laughs> it is chaos, yes. Well, I've always had a dog. I have a dog actually lying under my desk now, sleeping as we chat. So, um, yeah, I'm a big dog. Yeah, I mean, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's a good thing. When, when you come up with these stories, where does it happen for you? Like, how do you how do you come up with a story? Like, when you're doing these series, like when you were talking about uh, Marketville and stuff, um, where does that all come from for you? Are you just sitting there and it just like zooms in or something, or how does that happen? <laughs> oh, I, I have a lot of these like what I call pretty notebooks. You know, just like notebooks on it. So I always have like three or four on the go with different ideas um, that sort of come to me. But a lot of them just really they come from life. So say the very first book, um, which is The Hangman's News, living in Holland Landing at the time, and Holland Landing was founded by Samuel Lount, who was hanged for treason. Um, and so I found, you know, when I first moved to Holland Landing, I saw this plaque dedicated to this guy hanged for treason. That fascinated me, so I had to read all about that. And um, but anyways, it was a small town that was you know, still close enough to Toronto that it was starting to get, um, you know, urban sprawl, for lack of a better word. And um, there was going to be one of the um, the schools there was going to be um, deaccessioned and sold, and they were going to turn it into like, townhomes or something. And I just thought, you know, wow, like, you know, people were really up in arms about it, you know, this this whole thing. And I thought, well, what if you know, what if it was a school being sold off, but not for townhomes? What it was going to be sold off for, say, um, a mega box store, and that mega box store would then threaten all the little local businesses, 
one of them being the antique shop. And what if somebody was going to murder over that? So that's sort of how that idea all, you know, sort of, so really the germ of it was something that was happening. And then I just, you know, took it and ran with it. And uh, Skeletons in the Attic, which is, again, I think I, think I told you in my best-selling book, my husband and I were um, in our lawyer's office. Um, we were going to update our wills. And um, I was still shopping around for a publisher for The Hangman's News, and I didn't, want, um, I didn't want to write book two of a book that maybe wouldn't sell, so I thought I'd want to start a new book, but I didn't really know what to write about. But then when I was sitting in this lawyer's office, and our lawyer was late, he was delayed in court, I thought, well, what if I was here to inherit money? And what if that there were strings attached, and what kind of strings? And so I started, you know, scribbling all these books. I was a notebook even in my purse, start scribbling down all the stuff. By the time the lawyer arrived, I basically had the first chapter written, and I knew exactly where the story was going to go. So, um, you know, everything sort of gets inspired by things, you know, um, past and present, the second book in the Marketville series. Um, my mother passed away in September 2016, and, and I found some documents in her closet, you know, her, her passport to Canada, um, the ship, uh, she came over on some stuff from that, and I started, you know, stuff she never talked about, and so I thought, oh, so I started digging, went to Pier 21, and um, found out, you know, some immigration status stuff, and and then checked old train station things. And anyway, and that developed, uh, while I was digging into, you know, my mother's life, it became the story of, of Annalise Pree, who was murdered in 1956. So, <laughs> there you go. I just take an idea, and then I just, my imagination goes crazy. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Huh. You just never know where you're going to end up. Are you, are, are you the type of person that can just sit down, structure your day, so in a sense... Uh, Let's say there's going to be nobody around from, you know, 10 to 2. You can just sit down and go, okay, I'm going to write 10 to 2 and sit down and write. Or do you have to be in a certain frame of mind? Yeah, I, I vowed when I left the corporate world in 2003, I vowed I would never again um, work a structured day because that was the one thing I hated more than anything else. Um, I, I, I was... A, I, was, I did well in the corporate world, and I, you know, reached the manager position and all this type of thing. But it, I, I hated that nine-to-five thing. I was like, maybe today I feel, you know, sharper between eight and ten at night or whatever. You know what I mean? Why does it have to be nine-to-five? So I definitely don't structure my day that way. Um, I do try to write every single day, um, even on the weekends, um, but at different times of the day. In the summer, I, I'm... I, passionate golfer, not very good, sadly, but passionate. And so, um, you know, golf will be a priority, and then I'll find a way to write after golf, you know. <laughs> but I will first golf, and then, I will. <laughs> and then I will write, unless the golf is in the afternoon, in which case I'll try to write in the morning. But, yeah, so I kind of write at all different times, um, and, uh, and I have my office, which is, you know, away from everything, and quiet, and I... I tend to write um, either in silence or to talk radio, never to music, never to music. Hmm. That's interesting. I usually have it all going, the television, really? the radio, and oh my, my dogs and, and music and everything, yeah. Oh, my God. I can't, no, for me, if it's, if it's not really quiet, like, I don't get people that can go to a coffee shop and write, like, I totally could never do that. Yeah, I don't think I that's could me. do that either. Yeah, that's, 
you know. That's me, though. I can do. I can, I'm like Al. I have everything going on, but I could also do the coffee shop. Now that doesn't mean it's very good writing. Though. I suck at that part. <laughs> See what I'm saying? It's the editor that I choose. <laughs> well, there, you, there you have it. You heard it here. Now, don't buy any of Mike's books. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, they're they're very very good at. Now I, I see. Now you were you were talking about this earlier, Crime Writers of Canada. So now you are a part of that that group, and you are the chair now, I guess. Um, what do you want to tell people about groups like that and groups such as the Crime Writers of Canada? So I, yeah, I belong to a number of um, associations. So I belong to Sisters in Crime, uh, the Toronto branch, the National branch, and the Guppies branch. Guppies was the great unpublished, so I joined there when I wasn't published. And um, many of the published authors stay on to mentor unpublished authors. So um, I belong to all three of those organizations, and I'm reasonably active in all of them. I belong to International Thriller Writers, Short Mystery Fiction Society, and uh, obviously Crimeers of Canada. So Crimeers of Canada I joined back in 2012 as an associate member, you know, aspiring author. And then uh, when I became an author, became a professional author member in 2015, I guess. And, uh, and then in 2017, they asked if I'd want to join the board as a regional rep for Toronto, Southwestern Ontario. And so I said, sure. And uh, since then, then I went on to become director and vice chair. And now I've spent the last, well, year and a half as chair. So my term ends at the end of uh, May this year. And then uh, I will become past chair. And, and uh, trust me, when I said I would uh, take on the position of chair, I did not expect um, to take it on when COVID hit. <laughs> so, oh, that's right. It has been a challenge. <laughs> but anyways, it's a great, it's, you know, it's a great association. We have, you know, um, member benefits, discounts on um, entries to the awards and discounts on various magazines and, we have webinars and meet and greets, and so lots of things. And, and you know, virtually, you know, we, we do other things like we, we have a presence at conferences and that kind of thing as well. So I think it's really worthwhile to belong to associations in general. And I think it's really important as a Canadian to support um, Canadian uh, crime writing, whether that be fiction or nonfiction. And one way of doing that is to belong to an association like Crimeers of Canada, right? Mm. I think it's really important that we that we support our own. Um, you know, Canadians are so quick to. It's funny, you know, like we don't really toot our own horn or anything. But then suddenly, you know, so and so's in California, in Hollywood, and it's like, oh, they're Canadian. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, but when they were living in, you know, Winnipeg, nobody cared about them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's very true. You know. William Shatner, he was Canadian. <laughs> yeah, he's Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's true. Like, we don't, you know, it's the first thing you hear. Like, when you hear about an actor, it'll be, well, Ryan Reynolds, you know, he's Canadian. Like, you always hear, they're Canadian. Like, that's, people are, it's, it's almost like we're not good enough unless we make it somewhere else, you yeah, know? Yeah. yeah. That's very true. That's a very, that's a very true feeling I think a lot of people have, you know, which, it, it, it's not legitimate, but it's true. No, it's true. So where do you see yourself going now? What's, what's going to happen to Judy over the next few years? Well, I'm waiting for Reese Witherspoon to pick one of my books. Her book club. <laughs> that good. would be really nice. Hello, Reese, are you listening? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I, yeah, call me. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, 
Yeah. So I would really, uh, you know, no, I would like to, um, obviously I'm writing the fourth book, Market Bill, right now. I have um, a standalone suspense that's, that I'm probably around 25, 30,000 words in and kind of trying to figure out where, it, where, where I'm going to take it. I, it's such a pantser, like I don't plot at all. So um, that works in the, uh, the more cozy mystery world. I'm finding with the standalone suspense, maybe I should be doing a little bit more outlining. Um, so we'll see. Again, it's my first one, so I don't you know, know where that's going to go. Um, I'd like to um, take a course in screenwriting or playwriting just because I think it would be interesting and probably help my writing in general, not because I think I necessarily have any, any success at getting those plays or screen plays um, produced. Um, and I probably wouldn't mind trying my hand on a nonfiction. So, you know, I've got lots of ideas. I've got more ideas than time. Nonfiction? You mean Jack Ripper in, in Toronto would be a nice nonfiction? Uh, one of the things about screenwriting, though, is I, that I had to do a, had to do a screen that that is I'm used to writing in past tense, and you have to do it in present tense. So it was really screwing with me all the way through. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I guess, I mean, just the whole thing is that you're now – it's. It's it's all basically it's a dialogue driven right so yeah, um, right but I do I'm good at dialogue dialogue is one of my strengths absolutely so uh, I I think it would be good and from what I understand from people that have done it that they say that it really does um, help you with your with your writing because you have to really have you yeah. know the outline there or whatever so I, right. I I I would like to take a course or something in it. It's just defining which course would be the best one to take and, and finding the time to take it. Really. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, Eric Shapiro was one of our uh, part-time hosts um, out of California. Is writing a, um, a Netflix movie right now, and he's done quite a few movies and different shows, oh. and he does it very well. He's and I'll tell you, he's, he he um, writes for a newspaper, and he's such a good writer. I, I'm amazed at how well he can just put things together. And I think I think you're right. I think doing the screenwriting like that, I think there's a, a big benefit to your overall, um, you know, ability from getting what you get out of it. You know, I think it's great. Um, yeah. Well, I think you know, with every you know, I when I think back to my first book, like I said, it took me probably two years to write it, and now you know, I. I can pretty much get my first draft done in three to four months, and it's pretty clean, you know, because I'm an editor, and that's where I, my background is, right? So I sort of edit as I go. I mean, obviously, I, you know, I have professional editor and all this type of thing, but um, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty. The first draft is pretty clean, you know. I, so I'm, you know, that comes from practice and learning and knowing what doesn't work for you, right? So I think um, the more different areas I try to branch out into, whether that's playwriting or screenwriting or whatever, can only, can only help, even if, if, even if it leads nowhere beyond just personal enrichment. Hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, one thing I, you mentioned about how you just kind of do it as you go, uh, how does that work when you do a series? Like when you're doing a series that has three or four books to it and maybe even more, so you don't have that outlined? You don't have it kind of where you want to be at the end of four books and then you kind of go through it or you have no idea? So with the Glass Dolphin series, I knew it would be three books and I knew how I wanted it to end. So 
That one, yes, I knew how, it, and that, the third book in that series, which is called Where There's a Will, I actually wrote the last chapter before I wrote the first chapter because I knew exactly where I wanted to put my characters in their lives, right? And so, but did I know how they were going to get to that end? No, I had no idea, yeah. right? I just knew how I wanted them to end. As far as calamity goes, I'm writing a book four now. I don't know whether, I never, I, I won't know until I finish it whether that's it for the series or whether I think there's going to there's gonna be another one. Um, and, and I won't know until, until it's done, right? Um, because, there, I mean, even though it's a really well-selling um, series, I, I do find there are some authors that, you know, maybe their series should have ended sooner than they have, right? And I don't want to be one of those and, and who do you mean? Uh, <laughs> we're certainly not going to name any names here. <laughs> but other authors have done a remarkable job of keeping a series going for many books. And an, an example would have been the late Sue Grafton, who I absolutely adored and was you know, very sad that she didn't get to finish um, finish her, her alphabet series that ended at Y. Um, but, um, I mean, she managed to write 25 books, and if you read A is for L by, um, or Y is for Yesterday, you'll see how much she grew as an author over that, that those books. I mean, her plots became much more developed, even though her character only aged under like three years or something in 25 books. But everything about her writing became more polished, and it really, really, really shows... So some people can do it. I don't see that I have 25 books in, in my Marketville series. Hmm. I, might, I might have four, I might have six. I don't yeah, know. It's, it's, but I, again, if I want to do these other things, like the Stan Walls of Spence or maybe nonfiction, you know, something has to be put aside, yeah, right? So, yeah. And I also, I also publish, uh, I've also published three multi-author anthologies. So um, Superior Shores anthologies are called, and... You know, that was a tremendous amount of work because I, um, you know, I sent out the call out to the various markets and, you know, each time got about 100 submissions, had to call it down to like 20 stories. Um, then I did all the editing, the formatting, and, you know, I hired a proofreader because, you, you know, I wouldn't have noticed any mistake after doing all of that. And did the formatting and put it together and the cover art and all of that. So I, I published one in 2019, 2020, and 2021. I'm taking a gap year this year. I'm not doing one this year. But I will. I have plans to do one in 2023. That's a tremendous amount of work. But I think it's really important because um, I think short crime fiction, I love it. And I and it's how I got my start, my first publishing credit. So I try to pay it forward a little bit, right? Hmm. That's interesting. Um how was COVID then? Uh, I mean, we know how COVID is, but I mean, uh, how is it for you in your writing? Uh, do, you, do you find that it kind of makes you write darker or perhaps maybe even it stalls your writing? It definitely stalled my writing. 2021 was the first year that I didn't have a book. I did get an anthology out, but I, I didn't have, a, like, my own my own novel out. That's the first time since um, my first book came out in 2015. I had one book out a year, and I just, I just had. A, it's crazy because I, I don't consider myself a, a super social person, um, and I, and I spend a lot of my time by myself in my little room here writing. But 
I didn't realize how much I needed, you know, just to go out and have a coffee with a friend kind of thing. I didn't realize how much, how important that was or how, how much those sort of little escapes, it kept me creative, you know. And so it really has, um, it really has played with me for sure. I mean, health-wise, touch wood, it's been good. I don't know anybody personally that's, um, you know, been impacted um, with COVID. But, um, but it's definitely, I think, harmed a lot of people's mental health, for sure, yeah. right? And uh, my, my own included, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You should see Mike's. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I still talk myself still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing that I'm grappling with now is book for Marketville. It, I'm I'm placing it, it's going to take place in 2022. Um, you know, there's I mean, there's like a cold case, and then there's the current things going on. So, I, but I'm looking at, I'm thinking, do I mention COVID? Or do people want to, you know, or do I just pretend it never happened? You watch these, you watch TV shows. Some just like blue bloods. You know, took place and takes place in New York City. No mention of COVID. Nothing. Not a mask in sight. And then other shows you see that they, you know, taking it in, right? So what's the right thing? I don't know. I guess I should mention a little bit, but I keep thinking it's going to be over in this. No, I think I think it's I think it's uh, that's the problem. We don't know where it's going. We don't know how it ends or what happens. So I think that's kind of the question. But I think realistically, if you're writing a, a a story happening at the time, you might not make it a major part. You might not even get into too much explanation, but you might have it there in the background around yeah. you. That's the way. I, that's the way I'm approaching it. Is actually just sort of saying, you know, oh yeah, this tough, this last year's been really tough, kind of that yeah. sort of thing, but not. Really going into it, not having people take masks on and off. Yeah, bring bring it stuff. up like you bring up sex or nudity, right? It, it's only when it's needed to tell a story. Yeah, yeah, that's the way I'm. That's the way I'm, I'm thinking of approaching it because I, I honestly think that once we're out of this, and hopefully that'll be sooner rather than later. I don't think people want to revisit it. They'll just be like, enough. Like, I just don't want to hear about it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But in 20 years from now, if it does end in 2022 here, in 20 years from now, the, the generation then won't really have the, that tired experience with it like we do. So, so be curious, that's, that's, I'd be curious about the 1918 flu, about the authors back then, if they added. I know a few, uh, one or two, but see how they responded Yeah, back then. Yeah. Yeah. Stra strange, because we also have different reactions. You know, we have the, you know, the anti-pro, you know, maskers, and we have the anti-vaxxers, and we have all that stuff going on, and it's very public. You know, I wonder if that will affect as well, because I think all that stress gets in, right? And, it, and it's, it's, in the, it's in the neighborhood, so when you're writing about today, it is there. It's in the background. You, you know, it's the elephant in the room, so to speak. So it's a tough one. It absolutely is. And, and you know, as I said earlier, I, I, I write to talk radio, and that has been the case until this past while because literally, I mean, on talk radio, it's, it's all about the COVID and the numbers and this doctor's on and that doctor and this specialist and that specialist. You know, and I just, I just, I just think I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear about it anymore. I just don't. Want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I'm so grateful when somebody comes on. Like um, earlier today on Kelly Catrera, they had uh, Peter Howell was on talking about 
um, you know, um, the, the Golden Globes, why they didn't happen or why they weren't filmed or whatever. Yeah. But it was just so great to hear about something other than COVID. Oh, yeah, I mean? yeah. You've <laughs> got to stay away from all that because it's overkill, it, you know? Oh, it is. It is. It just, it, I mean, it just gets to you after a while, you know? Whatever your position is on, on vaccines or any vaccines, whatever, I mean, Every single person out there um, has got to be just tired of hearing about it. Well, right? certainly, so. you know, it's just so much. Well, now, let's get into the uh, promotion stuff. So now, how do people find you, get a hold of you? Um, do you have any pictures of your house that you want to put, your address up, your phone number you can put all up? Or do you have a website? I do have a website, and I think it's quite a good website. It's it's judypenshellick.com, so should be easy to find. And I've got all kinds of cool stuff on there. I've got um, on my about page, I have my, my bio, but then I have my enough about me, here's more about me section where this interview will be linked at some point. Um, and I have a facts and fiction section where I, I talk about Samuel Lound or um, Blue Rodeo, um, the, the, the band that they are featured in some of my books. And so sort of the facts behind my fiction, right? So I've got some of that stuff going in there. So I think that's kind of a fun thing. I've got some recipes. Not that my stories have recipes in them. They don't. Um, but there's mention of, say, food, and then I'll make up, like, a little recipe or something. So, yeah, so it's, it's a pretty good website. And uh, you some on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, and, tw- and Twitter. You've got to get on TikTok. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, you know, I kind of looked at TikTok and thought, I just, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. Well, it's been an interesting conversation. Always good to talk to authors, and uh, we have another great one today to start the year out. So thank you for being here, Uh, Judy Penns Shellock. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Nice speaking with you, Judy. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.